Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 11, verses 16 through 24, called, To What Shall I Compare This Generation? What do you think John's biggest question must have been? Probably something like this. When is judgment coming? I preached that the axe was at the root in Matthew 3.10 and that the Messiah was going to burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. When is that coming? I'm hearing about your great miracles. I'm hearing about the things that you are doing, but how about the judgment day? See, you don't want judgment day when you're sitting on a beach, but if you're in a prison, you want judgment day. Amen? Kind of depends. We, we go back and forth. We say Maranatha one day and then, oh, Lord, could you put off your coming for a while on another day? Well, John was wondering about the judgment piece, and this is what it says in Revelation 6, 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out, Revelation 6, 10, with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, Will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? This is the famous souls underneath the altar in Revelation 6, 9. And their singular question is, when are you going to avenge our martyr's blood? And they're pictured up in heaven asking God. And God says to them, wait a little while longer until the full number of the, the saints comes in and dies in this way as well. God's even sovereign over that, as hard as it may be to understand. And so there's John, and Jesus now shifting to the generation, says, well, they're like kids who, when the flute was played, think of wedding music, they didn't dance. Verse 17, when the dirge was sung by John, they wouldn't mourn. They just couldn't be pleased. Now, I don't know how you guys are at weddings, but, you know, weddings always lead up to the dance time. As a pastor, it's a little awkward, you know, should the pastor get up and dance? What will people think, you know? When Brenda and I got married, we had a very Italian wedding, a lot of Italian people there, and you couldn't help but get up and dance, right? I mean, there was music going on, and, and, and there was a, a kind of a line where people were holding one another's shoulders, and you couldn't help, you know, hey! You can't sit in the corner and drink your punch at an event like that. We all know that sometimes when the dance music starts, some of us sit there with our arms crossed. I'm not, I'm not getting, into, I'm not going over there. And in some of your cases, it's a good thing that you don't. <laughs> and some of us have found a spot where, you know, we could just kind of be right here, staying in the pocket, you know, not moving too much. But even that, you can get some sideways looks at the pastor, the pastor. What's he doing out there? And that's kind of how people were with Jesus. What's, if he's the Messiah, what's he doing over there at a party? Why is he eating food with them? And doesn't he know what kind of people they are? Shouldn't he be up on a mountain with a bunch of people in robes looking very serious like they just ate a banana upside down? <laughs> Don't smile in here. And then when John played the dirge, when he called the nation to repentance, they're like, dude... A little too heavy, uh, lighten up. 
And Jesus said, look, you wouldn't dance at the wedding music that I played. You wouldn't embrace the moment. The day of salvation had come. The Lord of salvation had arrived. And you wouldn't dance. And then when John tried to prepare the way to get you to do a little reflection, a little thinking about where the nation had been and how far they had moved from God, none of you would cry. All you could do is dismiss John or say, who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you the expected one? No, 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 no. But I am a voice crying in the wilderness. Do you hear the words? Crying in the wilderness. Make ready the way of the Lord. Get ready. Don't miss it. He's here. And that's what happened. And that generation was accountable. Key phrase, if you're a note taker, underline this generation. To what shall I compare this generation? Now, of course, we live in the time that we live, so we can't help but think about the contemporary moments that we live in. But Jesus of Nazareth, if you will, was addressing his generation. And if we think back to John's question for a moment, John's asking about justice, judgment. O'Donnell comments, he says, Jesus is not simply saying, John, who can raise the dead or who can give blind sight? Look and listen, I'm so powerful, I must be the Messiah. He's saying, Scripture says that when Messiah comes, these miracles will happen and so will judgment. I've, I haven't forgotten about the judgment part of the promise. In fact, I'll start with a bit of judgment the moment I'm done disquieting your doubts, close quote. And you probably notice that Jesus is now going to pronounce multiple woes in the passage after he addresses his generation. I just want to give you a quick snapshot where this generation is used in a couple other places. If you do a concordance search, uh, you'll find this. Turn over to uh, Matthew 12, next page, 41, 42. Take a look. Jesus says these words, and he's Responding to their request for a sign, though he had done so many, Matthew twelve forty one says, the men of Nineveh, Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, will stand up with this generation, mark it, this generation at the judgment, and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here, or someone greater. The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment. There's that, this generation again. And will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something or someone greater than Solomon is here. I want you to flip all the way to Matthew 23 for a second. Matthew 23, this is the end of where Jesus pronounces woes on the religious leaders of the day. If you go back and read the chapter, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, woe, woe, woe. He pronounces all of these judgments on them. And he says in Matthew 23, look at uh, verse 35 so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on the earth, on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon, here's the phrase again, this generation. Then he begins to lament how Jerusalem kills the prophets, stones those who are sent to her. How often he, he gave the invitation. He wanted to gather their children the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but they were what? Unwilling. And then he famously says, behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then one more. In the famous Olivet Discourse, which is the very next chapter, Matthew 24, Jesus says these words, 
Matthew 24, look at verse 34. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now that's a future study and we'll get into that when we're there. But back back to Matthew chapter 11. If you are interested and you want to do a concordance search on this generation, that phrase, you will find adjectives where in other places where it's found like this wicked generation, this perverse generation, this unbelieving generation, this adulterous generation. If you're taking notes, Matthew 12, 39 and 45, Matthew 16, 4, and Matthew 17, 17. Strong rebukes to a tough crowd. And Jesus was calling out his generation for the privileged position that they had. And yet they did not take advantage. Look at Matthew eleven eighteen. For John came neither eating nor drinking. He didn't eat uh, their bread or drink their wine. And they say he has a demon. Can you imagine that? John the Baptist, that fiery, spirit-filled preacher, and they accused him of being demon-possessed. That's blasphemy. Notice what else they said. The Son of Man, that's Jesus describing himself, came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, here's, this is what they said about him. He's a gluttonous man and a drunkard. That's, that's like saying the Messiah is a drunk. He belongs in the category of a person who's an alcoholic. The friend of tax gatherers and sinners, yet, notice, wisdom, and the Bible's filled with wisdom literature, is vindicated by her deeds. What's Jesus saying? How many miracles did you watch me do? How many miracles have you heard about? How could I stand at the tomb of Lazarus and say, after a man had been dead four days, Lazarus, come forth, and the dead man comes out of the tomb? Can you imagine standing at a cemetery and see that happen? Would you believe that the guy who called to the other side of the grave had some power? Would you believe he was the Messiah? You know what the religious leaders did after that? They put a hit on Lazarus and Jesus. They tried to kill them both to shut them up. Now, if you saw that, wouldn't that be enough? But that wasn't the issue for them. They, were, they wallowed in their unbelief. And Jesus says, look at my deeds. Look how I've touched the blind, opened the ears of the deaf, healed lepers, raised the dead. How could you deny, if you have a moment just of wisdom in your a little bit of wisdom in your brain. How could you deny who I am? Don't my deeds, don't my works back it up? James 3.17 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. Now that's the Messiah. No one could follow him around and deny, no one walking in wisdom could deny that he is God that he is the Messiah. Now it gets harder. Then Jesus began to denounce or reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done. What's your Bible say, brethren? Because they what? They did not repent. Matthew 3, 1, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's John the Baptist. Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's Jesus. The singular call to the nation was to repent. And it echoes Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, if they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, 
I will forgive their sin. I will what? I will heal their land. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team hope you're having a blessed day. But maybe you have questions, or maybe you are having a hard time, something going on in your life or in your family. We have pastors on staff that would love to speak with you if you need prayer or counsel. If you're having a hard time and need someone to talk to, or maybe you don't feel like talking, but you could use some prayer, you can call Walk in Truth Tuesdays through Thursdays during daytime hours at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844 844- 48 Truth. One more time, 844-48 Truth. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walkin' Truth. The singular call to the nation was to repent. And it echoes 2 Chronicles 7:14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, If they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will what? I will heal their land. The Lord says, basically, if you would just simply understand the times, know the moment of history in which you live, and turn, you would be saved. And so as he reproaches the cities, he starts with two of the three. Uh, Just a quick note, if you look at a map in Israel and you go up to the northern part of Israel above the Sea of Galilee, there's th- there'd be three dots on the map, and it would be Capernaum, uh, Chorazin, and Bethsaida. They're all probably within about five miles of each other historically. So Jesus did a ton of miracles right in these places. And so he calls out two of the three right here in verse 21. Notice with a woe. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, two pagan cities to the northwest of uh, the Galilee region, if they would have had the miracles occur in them, which occurred in you, what, what would have happened? They would have repented long ago, and they would have put on sackcloth and ashes. And whenever you see the word woe in the Bible, it's not from an old rock and roll song. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it's rather a statement of judgment mixed with pity. In Revelation 8.13, if you're taking notes, there's three woes pronounced on the people that are about to experience the trumpet judgments. Woe, woe, woe. Revelation 8.13, for what's about to come on mankind. Jesus pronounces a woe on these three cities very much in the character and keeping of Old Testament prophets. I'm going to give you an example. I want you to turn to the book of Isaiah in your Old Testament, chapter 13. Okay, we're going to turn to a few spots and read a little bit. Um, I know you can handle it, (laughs) but the first one is a a little bit longer of a section, but it is so incredibly powerful. Let me just explain to set this up. In Isaiah chapters 13 through 23, there are 10 woes or oracles pronounced on different nations. Starting with Babylon, it includes Israel, Egypt, Philistia, and other nations. The first one is, is written to Babylon. This is going to give you a feel for what Jesus is doing by pronouncing the woe. Take a look. Isaiah 13 will be up on the screen. The oracle concerning Babylon 13, one of Isaiah, which Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw. He was a seer, so he saw the prophecy, if you will. Lift up the standard. Lift up a standard on the bare hill. Raise your voice to them. Wave the hand that they may enter the doors of the nobles. I've commanded my consecrated ones. I've called my mighty warriors my proudly exalting ones to execute 
my anger. So God's calling these warriors now to be the instrument of his anger. A sound of tumult on the mountains like that of many people. A sound of the uproar of kingdoms, of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts is mustering the army for battle. They are coming from a far country. From the farthest horizons, the Lord and and his instruments of indignation. So this foreign army is his tool to destroy the whole land. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near, 13.6. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp, and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. Just write, Raiders of the Lost Ark, in your margin right there. If you haven't seen the scene, repent and go see the movie. It's an older movie now. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises. The moon will not shed its light. Day of the Lord imagery. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will make mortal man scarcer than pure gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake from its place and the fury of the Lord of hosts at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. And it will be like, it will be that like a hunted gazelle or like sheep with none to gather them. They will each turn to his own people, each one flee to his own land. Anyone who is found will be thrust through. Anyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Their little ones also will be dashed to pieces, sadly, before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered, their wives ravished. This is about as ugly a scene as you can get. Behold, I'm going to stir up the Medes. You've all heard of the Medes and the Persians. Media is an ancient nation that uh, conquered Babylon in our own world history. Notice, I'm going to stir them up, says God, to be my tool. They will not value silver or take pleasure in gold. They're not coming for the treasures of Babylon. Their bows will mow down the young men. They will not even have compassion, sadly, on pregnant women on the fruit of the womb. Nor will they pity their eye pity children. And Babylon, the beauty of the kingdoms, the glory of the Chaldeans' pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation. Nor will the Arab pitch his tent there, nor will shepherds make their flocks lie down there. But desert creatures will lie down there. Their houses will be full of owls. Ostriches will live there, and shaggy goats will frolic there. Hyenas will howl in their fortified towers, almost as a laughing mockery to the glory of Babylon. Jackals in their luxurious palaces, no people left to enjoy that. Her fateful time also will soon come, and her days will not be prolonged. You've been listening to To What Shall I Compare This Generation? Part 2 on Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew eleven sixteen through 24 And if you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is always available on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many other podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. And would you please tell a friend about Walk in Truth? We hope today's teaching will be a blessing and uplifting to someone you care about. Would you please encourage a friend or family member to listen to Walk in Truth on this station? 
If you're listening through your podcast app, please click the share button. Thanks so much for spreading the word about Walk in Truth. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, you can see in Jesus' ministry where he did so much, so many miracles, so much teaching, that their level of accountability was uh, heightened. To much is given, much is required. And I can't help but think of America where we've been so blessed with churches seemingly in, in most towns on every corner, incredible lineups of Bible teachers up and down the time slots on many good Christian radio stations. You can go from one solid pastor to the next. They may not agree on every little nuance of uh, theology, but I'll tell you, rock solid, long time stalwarts of the faith. And and you go, man, America's been blessed. And there's many, many more pastors that are not on the radio who have faithfully executed their ministry. And they're unsung heroes all over the nation, all over the world, fighting the good fight in small rural towns and places where they don't get a whole lot of headlines. And uh, some of them are working two jobs. Uh, They work They pastor a church, and they work a full-time job and juggle family. And sometimes some of them are still going to school. Don't forget about those guys. And if you're one of those guys right now, Pastor, I tip my hat to you. I've been where you are. I'm still juggling some of those things, but I do have the privilege of committing myself to full-time ministry, which I'm extremely grateful for. I just want to let you know that you know those people are out there. And as much bad news as there is that circulates so quickly in the church, you know, someone falls in a certain part of the country or something happens and everybody's on it, there's very little that I see that's grabbing the attention of listeners celebrating faithful ministers who have ministered for decades. So here we are in America and, you know, Jesus is condemning the places where he did the majority of his miracles. And and he compares them. He says it's going to be easier for some notorious places of judgment than for them. I'm telling you, that is sobering. Sobering. And so, you know, I can't help but think of our nation right now. When our first president, you know, put his hand on the Bible and And when the early founders of the nation, as imperfect as they were, still committed their lives and fortunes and the destiny of this country into the hands of Almighty God. That's sobering, and I'm I'm sharing some sobering things because that's what Jesus just shared. And so the question always becomes, well, what do we do in in a culture that you know, many seem like they they can't be told that anything they do could be wrong or deserving of wrath. I mean, that seems to be off limits. What do we do? We remain faithful. We remain faithful to the truth because the truth is alive and it will do its work. And there are people who come along at different times and they may be closed at one moment and all of a sudden open the next. They may seem impenetrable to our you know, attempts to witness to them. And then all of a sudden something happens and the door opens. So don't lose heart. Here we are at the beginning of the weekend. I pray that you're going to be uh, in church, in corporate worship, if at all possible, that you're serving in your local church, that you're praying before the services, that you're giving to the work of the kingdom of God, that you are inviting people 
you know, there's a lot to do in the local church, and it's a blessed place. Imperfect as it is, it's God's organism. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona. We do a couple of services on Sunday morning in English, 8.30 and 10.30 a.m., a Spanish service at 1 p.m. We're located at 1009 Arsenal Way. Think of the armor of God. 1009 Arsenal Way in Corona. If you don't live in Southern California, we live stream our second service, 10.30 a.m. Pacific time, if you want to jump on board that way. But I pray that you will not use that as your church. Have a local church. Get involved. Let our live stream simply supplement. You can watch it later. It's up on YouTube. But you can connect to everything related to our ministry when you go to walkintruth.com. Have a tremendous weekend, and we'll see you, Lord willing, on Monday. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast, and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. And join us Monday for part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 24, called, To What Shall I Compare This Generation? What if Jesus said, You, Riverside County, you, Orange County, you, Southern California, what if he said, You, the United States of America, what do you think that he might say to us today? Would he pronounce a woe? Here we are, a nation of privilege. What might he say? I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.